Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. series through the first three chapters of the wonderful book of Luke. We're entitling this the, the Cradle to the Crown. This will lead us through the holy days, sometimes pronounced holidays. And then we will start our annual study verse by verse in the incredible, very important book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Never has there been a time in history when the second coming of Christ seemed any more imminent. And so we look forward to the upcoming days if the Lord should tarry his coming. From the cradle to the crown, we are going to focus on the early life of Christ. And so uh, we're going to have several messages. This message is entitled, An Unquestionable Record. The Lord willing, we'll go through the first four verses. Years ago, there was an epic motion picture entitled, The Greatest Story Ever Told. It was the visual retelling of the biblical account of Jesus of Nazareth. From the nativity through his ascension, it uh, was widely acclaimed and received five Academy Award nominations. The greatest story ever told. More recently, there was the movie The Passion of Christ, produced and directed and co-written by mega A-lister star Mel Gibson. It follows the final 12 hours before the death of Jesus Christ. Surprisingly, it was and still is today the highest grossing independent film of all time, over a billion dollars in income. And then more recently, many have seen The Chosen. It is the only multi-season, episode-based portrayal of Jesus that you can binge watch on streaming mediums such as Netflix and others. 108 million have seen at least part of the show up and through 2022 and translated into 600 different languages. Now, these video portrayals are a reminder once again that the life of Christ is still the greatest story ever told. Its drawing power throughout millennia is unmatched. And that is the story that 
the Gospel of Luke uniquely writes of. It is a synopsis of God's plan to save sinners from hell through the coming of His Son, Jesus Christ, to earth. He came to this old, dirty earth. He came to a cradle. He died and He rose again to be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. From the cradle to the crown. And that's our theme for the next nine weeks. The story is without equal in its impact and its power, and rightfully so. Because it's not a mere human fable, it is a divine fact. There have been many incredible literary works in the history of this world. Jane Eyre, Anne Frank, Shakespeare's complete works, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, Aesop's, one of my favorite, Aesop's insightful fables, and many more. But all of them cannot even come close to the combined altogether to approach to the truth and effect of the story of Jesus. His is the only story that can, has, and will change the destiny of millions. And that's why it's called the good news or gospel, because it is the good news. In fact, it's the best news, because it is the news of the complete and total salvation from sin. Over these next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of Christ. In the third narrative, we're given in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Luke is the longest of all the gospel accounts, and it is also the most thorough. Between the book of Luke and Acts, the other book, to Luke's credit, a total of 52 chapters, making Luke the human author of one of the New Testament. No other writer wrote so comprehensively a history of Jesus and his people. But the question we must ask ourselves this morning is, can we trust the book of Luke? Is it an accurate portrayal? Is it factual? Is it true? Well, in verse 4 of chapter 1, unequivocally, God tells us, yes, it is true. That's why I've entitled this message an unquestionable record. Look at verse 4. That thou mightest know the certainty of those things, or these things, wherein thou hast been instructed. Luke didn't just spin off the top of his head whatever came to his mind. It is not some effort on his part or some religious fable. Not at all. Absolutely not. The gospel of Luke is true history. And his theology is absolutely without question. Today, an unquestionable record. You know, it's interesting how myths can easily be accepted as truth, especially when they've been around a long time. Take the case of a spider. About 350 B.C., the illustrious Greek philosopher Aristotle classified a spider as having six legs. And for 20 centuries, everybody believed that a spider had six legs. No one ever bothered to actually count and challenge the renowned Aristotle. They just took it as settled scientific conclusion. There was only one small detail. They were all wrong. There's eight legs. Now, this morning, we are going to look at some verified truth. And that we get to hold in our hands from God. And yes... We've counted all the legs of this tree, and they're all there.
So this morning, we're going to ask God's wisdom as we launch, and His special anointing as we launch into this great series. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank You this morning for Your goodness to us. Lord, I'm so grateful that You are everything we've ever needed and more. Thank You for the sweet spirit this morning. And my heart has been so blessed, Lord, since early this morning, spending time with you and fellowshipping and singing and worshiping. Lord, you're so good to us. We're so blessed. Thank you for this bonding, special blessing to my heart and our family and our church. Now, Lord, we pray that you'd meet with us. I pray that, Lord, you'd give the attention of each one to every single word spoken this morning. And I pray that you'd put an anointing on those words as well as every ear here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's open our Bibles or your your little iPads or your phones. Let's go to the book of Luke or you can read it on the screens here. And we are getting ready for an amazing feast. Verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 of Luke chapter 1 are actually one long, unbroken sentence. You'll notice it just never is a period in there. This is a prologue, and they're meant to be read together. And so let's do just that out loud. We're going to read as we do from the beautiful, classic King James Bible. And so if you'll read it out loud together, and let's read it as though we mean it this morning, all right? Ready, begin. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things, wherein thou hast been instructed. Now what the Holy Spirit lets us know in these first four verses is that the beloved physician, Luke, is that we can trust Scripture about the nature of Christ. Today, as never before, there is an ever-increasing clamorous strife of anti-God Christian phobia from all corners. Just two days ago, former Senior White House correspondent Brian Karim warned us of the new House of Representatives Speaker Mike Johnson. Quote, here's what he said. He, speaking of Representative Mike Johnson, is a bigger threat to America than Hamas could ever be. He specifically condemned Johnson, and you're not going to, you're just going to, you're going to say, wow. He specifically condemned him, and I quote, for embracing the verses of the Bible. Can you believe that? He actually believes the Bible. That guy up there in Washington believes the Bible. I say amen to that, don't you? Man. <laughs> Terrible thing. But I will say that correspondent is actually correct. He should be scared. Because the Word of God is a sharp, two-edged sword cutting asunder all those evil and lack, the left and the crazy wackos and the 
woke, I'll tell you. And yet, while that is not unsurprising from that group to say such a thing, what baffles me is when an evangelical megachurch pastor from the southeast would say, and I'm summarizing, but here's what he said. He said, Christians, here's an evangelical pastor saying, Christians should accept evolution. Science is over the Bible, and our faith should not be based on the Bible alone. Well, my friends, um, we are fighting some great battles on many fronts. But in contrast, here's what the Luke, Gospel of Luke says. The Gospel of Luke says, all Scripture is indisputable and correct. It is inerrant, and we can learn from it, and we can trust it, especially as it tells us about Jesus Christ. And so with that sense, we embrace the truth of God's Word. There are six things in these verses I would like to share with you this morning. The words of the Gospel of Luke, number one, were validated by anyone. If you don't have this outline, you can go and get the app. Just go to our Wi-Fi. Or, uh, it's my guest, I think it is. It's, uh, I think it's type in my guest. Be my guest. There you go. And then you can get the outline and you can follow along or we have some notes here. So quite a few things this morning. The chief topic of conversation in the days of Luke, notable, uh, two decades or so after Jesus Christ, everybody was talking about Jesus. 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection. Look at verse 1. For as much as, for as much as, meaning it's a well-known fact, everybody knows, many, many means lots of people have, that is, in addition to being in everybody's mind, they've taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration. Many people, many people are talking about Jesus. In fact, many people have even taken to writing about it, singing about it, quoting about it. Many people were doing that. Why? Well, why not? Because Jesus is the sweetest name I've ever known. He's the sweetest one. I love it when Miss Bonnie would get up and sing, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. These words he spoke, the things he did, the lives he touched were constantly being referred to. In the day, they would say, did you hear what Jesus did? They were talking about it. There are pamphlets being written, art being created, quotes inscribed in different places. They still find those. Archaeologists find these quotes about Jesus. It is thought that the book of Luke was penned about 60 A.D., approximately 25 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And yet his effect on society was going strong and just getting started. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still giving honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Here was a man who was born in an obscure village, a child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home, never wrote a book, never held an office, never had a family, never went to college, never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. 
And while still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed between two thieves on a cross. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. And when he was dead, they laid him in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. And yet 19 centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of human race and the leader of the column of progress. And I am far within the mark when I say that all the enemies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerful as that one solitary life. I'm sure that in that day, the anti-Jesus people, the anti-Bible people, the freedom from religious people, just like today, were all triggered. Many were speaking of Jesus. Oh, you can't do that. This is a secular society. This is, we're here and we have to remember Rome. We have to remember the Jewish. The point who Jesus was and what he said and his deeds were an open book and he didn't have anything he was hiding. John chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus answered. He said, I spoke openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort. And in secret, I have said nothing. People are always saying, oh, these evangelical right-wing Christians, they got some secret kind of thing up to. Nothing secret. It's written down. It's called the Bible. That's what our plan is. Any honest, honest, spiritual-minded person such as Luke could easily then see if there was any misrepresentations of the life and the character of Jesus Christ. He said, I spoke openly. Everybody else spoke openly. But there's always people that make the claim, all oh, the Bible is full of contradictions. Really? What ignoramuses. Did you know that 99.9% .9 are easily reconciled through two means, either context or comparing text? And that settles 99.9% .9 of the so-called things that are miscalculations or somehow they don't seem right. For example, case in point, oftentimes people will say, well, look at the Gospels. The four Gospels aren't the same. They differ in factual details. But actually, that's no contradiction at all. That just gives us a more complete picture of Jesus Christ. Each of the Gospels emphasized a different aspect of the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. For example, the book of Matthew wrote to a Hebrew audience. He was to portray Christ as a fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. He, Jesus, was the long-expected Messiah. Busy Mark wrote to the Gentile audience. That's why he doesn't include things to the in Jewish writer, readers, like the genealogies, the frequent references to the Old Testament, because he taught them as one suffering. The amazing book of John emphasizes the deity of Christ, that he is a savior for all people. And that's why they often use things like fulfillment. And he is the one who is the word of God. And then the book of Luke, the beloved physician, turned evangelist, loyal companion of the apostle Paul, the only Gentile author of the entire New Testament to give us a masterpiece of history. 
the varying and unique perspective of each of the gospel writers then, rather than being a contradiction, is an affirmation. There's a man known as Simon Greenleaf in the 19th century. He was a prominent lawyer, a jurist. He wrote a legal scholarship that was the standard of all law schools, known as the Treatise on the Law of Evidence. Well-known accepted authority on what constitutes reliable evidence in a court of law. And he said the differing details from eyewitnesses is typical of individual sources that would be accepted in the court of law as strong evidence. He said had the Gospels each contained exactly the same information, it would indicate collusion that the writers had got all together beforehand and to get their story straight. He said the fact that all the Gospels are different is actually a great reminder that this is in fact truth, that the Christ life that we have down is absolutely 100% factual and reliable. Thank God that the words of the Gospel of Luke were validated by anyone. Number two, they were believed by the multitudes. It wasn't just a few people that maybe believed, you know, some little sect or something. No, they were believed by multitudes. The life of Christ was not corroborated just by a couple, but by many embraced. Verse number one, for as many have taken in hand to set forth a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Many have taken this, that the true events of the God-man, Jesus' life, were widely accepted. They did not follow, as Peter warned in 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 16, of cunningly devised fables. And there are certainly some strange, cringeworthy religious fables that can be found today. And some of them have even become mainstream. It's hard not to shake your head, for example, at all those religious tales that came there from that religious leader called Joseph Smith, the founder of the LDS. Some of the things they believe, it's just like, man, that's just, what in the world? Like, Jesus was the brother of Lucifer. Lucifer, that's what they say. Or that their writings, the writings of Mormon, actually interprets the Bible. There's some other weird stuff that you can read about, but I will tell you what Jesus, when he was there, it wasn't just a few weird people saying some things. No, it was accepted by many people. These people had an encounter with Jesus, a risen Savior, and were transformed, not by crazy tales, but by truth. And their outlook on life altered forever. They did not hesitate after their teaching, receiving the teaching of Christ, to go out and to even give up their life. They face persecution, even death. Just read what happened to the disciples. There's some beautiful fine art that shows all the different disciples, but think of for a moment about Peter and Paul. Both were murdered in Rome under Emperor Nero. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down at his own request because he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner. Andrew was crucified in Turkey. Thomas was run through with spears in Syria. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Yes, believed by many, easily 
corroborated that many people were believing on Jesus. You may have heard of the story Ben-Hur. What you may not have heard is the man behind it, Lew Wallace. He was an 1800s general, governor of New Mexico for a time, and a literary genius. But he was also a well-known atheist for a while. For a couple of years, he studied in the leading libraries of Europe and America. His intention was to get any kind of information that would destroy Christianity forever. While writing the second chapter of a book outlining his arguments against Christianity, he suddenly found himself on his knees crying out to Jesus, my Lord and my God. He got saved, born again. And later he wrote the novel, Ben-Hur. It's been called the most influential Christian book of the 19th century. He was believed by many, Luke said. Not just a few outlying crazies out there that believed that he was the brother of Lucifer or whatever. No, believed by many. The agnostics will say, I don't know. You ask them, what about Christ? I don't know. Or what about God? I don't know. What about future? I don't know. What about anything? I don't know. What, I mean, wow, that's the best you got? Agnostic, I don't get them. Atheist, they, they have no answers. There's nothing, really, there's nothing. You're sure about that? Absolutely sure. How unscientific, so you know there's absolutely nothing out there, right? I mean, it can't be. How do you know that? Well, I just know. Well, how do you know? I, I just know. I'm an atheist, and I know that. I'm crazy. Agnostics don't know. Atheists, man, they're wacko. Secular humanists, hey, man, it's just me and you, babe. It's just we're all about, you know, we're just about love. It's just about life. Who cares any about anything else? Wow. No tomorrow? They have no answers. Only Bible Christianity is still relevant to the needs of mankind today. Only. And that's why here he is, we are told, for as much then as many have taken in hand to send forth a declaration of those things which we have surely believed. That little phrase there, surely believed, is the word for full assurance. The same phrase, I think, in Romans chapter 4, where Abraham fully believed. It means absolutely certain. Now, here's the point. If 20 years after Christ, many, not just a few crazies out on the outliers, many, he was talked about everywhere. If many believed, no, the word is they were certain. That's what the word is. Absolutely certain. Then how is it that there is any ground for questioning him today? That's what Luke is saying. He's saying, Many eyewitnesses believed, many people that knew him believed, and here we are. We are now still believing him. And he said, I have written a true and legitimate history of the God-man that changed the world. He was changing lives 2,000 years ago, and he's still doing it today. It's incredible what he has done and what he's still doing, validated by anyone believed by the multitudes, these were, this was a common thing to believe back then. And number three, 
he says, they were delivered by eyewitnesses. Verse number two, they were delivered unto us. These weren't deep fakes. Now, friends, one of the things we're going to talk about when we start talking about the book of Revelation is we live in a crazy day where with artificial intelligence and the ability to take and say any, anybody can say something and they can twist it through their video things, deep fakes they call them. Well, Jesus and his words were no deep fakes. Had he existed in this day and age, people would just say, oh, it's not real. But he was back in a day when they didn't have that kind of thing. And so it says in verse number two, even as they delivered them unto us, which were from the beginning eyewitnesses, they were delivered unto us. So Luke says, it was given to me. Now, these eyewitnesses who knew him, believed him, I mean, they were transformed by his words. They then gave me this information. Now, the word delivered kind of, we don't get it like anything they got it. In the Greek, it means taking something sealed and authoritative, like something with an official stamp on it, and then giving it to somebody else. So Luke is saying, I received official eyewitness reports that were handed to me, actual people that had seen it, been there, and done it all. Now, let me just put a side note here. This is not in any way to be misconstrued as a disclaimer for divine inspiration. No, the Holy Spirit gave him that information. He just gave it through people. And then he also, the Holy Spirit, spoke additional truths to Luke, guided in the selection of the material, and then controlled every single word so that the book of Luke is exactly what God wanted us to hear. God used people, God used Luke, and God spoke to them, and he wrote it down. And that's exactly what it says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 13. Which things we speak, not in words which men's wisdom teach, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Now, I can't claim that. I can claim, I can hope to claim that maybe sometimes I'm inspired by the God. I can say I'm filled by God and hopefully I'm touched by God, but I can't say that I'm telling you exactly what the Holy Spirit wants you to hear. I can just say, well, but this is what he's saying is he is inspired by God. Now, let me give you a few facts about the book of Luke, why we should believe it and love it. Almost half of the Luke's material is unique to his gospel. That is, it's in, not in Matthew, Mark, or John. For example, if you chronicle all the miracles in the Gospels, you'll find about 35 miracles. In the book of Luke, there are seven of those that are unique to Luke. That means if we didn't have the book of Luke, we would miss seven wonderful miracles that Jesus did. 19 of the parables are only in Luke. 30 events in Jesus' life are only found in the book of Luke. The point is, Luke didn't copy Matthew, just copy it and just kind of reword it. No, he didn't copy Mark. He didn't copy John. Not at all. He was given eyewitness reports. The Holy Spirit spoke to him and superintended all that and put it together so that we could have inspired word. And that's what it says in verse 2. Even as they were delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses. 
Dr. J. Vernon McGee, the late radio Bible teacher, said that that word eyewitnesses is a unique word. Autopotas, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. If you wanted to spell it out, it's A-U-T-O, auto, P-T-E-S. It's actually a medical term, which means autopsy. And so what he was saying was that Dr. Luke was saying, and that's an interesting word, he would say that as a doctor. He said, eyewitnesses made an autopsy. That is, they took a forensic analysis of the like of Christ. They took all the facts, and here is what they found. Absolutely. Conclusion, he was God in the flesh. And that's what they said. He was, in fact, God. Now, when you go through the book of Luke, you will find that it was done very systematically. There are four things I would like to share about that. First of all, Luke worked analytically. I read a commentary, and I thought I would share these with you. Luke worked analytically. That took, is, he took a scholarly look. He was a very educated man. He took a long and careful look at what was given to him. He worked exhaustively. That is, he went all the way back to the beginning. That's why, by the way, the book of Luke begins with John the Baptist, the forerunner who points to Jesus. He not only worked analytically and exhaustively, but he worked thoroughly. Here he points out, I have studied everything. Undoubtedly, that's why there's so much fresh material in the book of Luke. And then finally, he worked carefully. That is, he worked diligently to lay it out in order. And then notice why he did that. Look at the last little phrase in verse number two. They were delivered unto us. They were eyewitnesses. They took an autopsy of the life of Christ. Absolutely everything that you, we know from the Bible is true. So that we could be ministers of the word. Ministers of the word. That word means under rower. It's a common word in the New Testament. Under rower, like down in a ship, you know, they're down underneath and they're rowing, rowing. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. It also is used for a medical assistant. So Dr. Luke said, we're all medical assistants for the great physician Jesus. It says a minister of the word. Like in Acts chapter 6 and verse number 4, those that were ministers, pastors, they would give themselves to the ministry of the word. The word means servant. A servant of the word. My friend, what could be better said of us than I'm a servant of the word? What do you do in your life? I'm a servant of the word. That's what I'm here to do. I'm to minister the word however I can. And that's what Luke was saying. He was saying, we got this from people who were servants of the word to people who want to be servants of the word. And so the gospel of Luke is validated by anyone, believed by the multitude, delivered by eyewitnesses, and number four, recorded by a holy man of God. Verse number three, it seemed good, that is fitting to me also, having had perfect understanding. And there's the key, perfect understanding. That is God-given, Holy Spirit-inspired of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. He identifies himself here as the author. These are my words, that is, they're given through me. I didn't write them, I just wrote them down. I have been given perfect knowledge. As 2 Peter 1.21 said, I was 
one of those holy men of God, one of those specially ordained people to write Scripture. The Bible is 66 books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years, three different languages on three continents, and yet its books share a common storyline, the creation, the fall, and the redemption of God's people. And his universal theme, God's love for all humanity. And his message, salvation is available to all who repent. And so here the wonderful Luke says, I'm one of those holy men of God that wrote it down. Now he wasn't an apostle because an apostle had to be a, a one who saw the resurrection, but he was a holy man of God. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul said, Luke is a beloved physician. Beloved because he was very special to his heart. He was a man who had was a physician who had turned into an evangelist. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the end of Paul's life, he was about to be martyred for the cause of Christ. He was to be executed in Rome. And he said in verse 11, he said, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. You talk about a man of God. Luke was a man of God. He was a educated, yet he was a fiery evangelist. Everybody had left. Demas loved the world, but not Luke. Luke was a pastor's friend and a personal physician, traveled thousands of miles with Paul over every kind of a situation imaginable. Tradition says that Luke died at 84 years of age. He served God into his 80s. Hallelujah. And he was immensely respected for this marvelous and 100% accurate provided account he provided of the life of Christ. You know, the Bible has often been described as basic instructions before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E. Well, I will tell you, it's not only basic instructions before we leave earth for the future, but the Word of God is also a trustworthy account of the past. And so the book of Luke, validated by anyone, believed by the multitudes, delivered by eyewitnesses, recorded by a holy man of God, and number five, systemized by a scholar. Systemized by a scholar. Look at verse three. My plan was to write to thee in order. In order. He was a theologian. I mean, he was a doctor turned evangelist. He was a very meticulous person, and he became a theologian. Notice what it says. He did it in an orderly way. What are the marks of a good theologian? Well, they do things in order. First of all, they do things, and I think that's what Luke was saying. He did it chronologically. He did it in a chronological way, meaning... As you go through the book of Luke, you can see it's very chronological for the most part. It starts with the birth of Christ. As we'll see in a few weeks, it goes to the boyhood of Christ, the baptism. And then it goes to his public ministry and finally to the cross. And then the resurrection is we as we're talking about from the cradle to the cross to the crown. But at times, we'll find that he takes a little sidebar. And it's not just chronological because he's trying to prove a point. And so it's not only chronological, but logical. Sometimes he just pulls out things that are systematic and persuasive to try to teach people salvation, because that is his goal. 
He says, go out into the highways and byways and tell them to come in. The key verse in the book of Luke is chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so sometimes he diverts from the chronological to prove that point. Jesus is here to save you. And we'll go through this thing logically, but at the same time, let me, or chronologically, but at the same time, I want you to know persuasively, Jesus is God, and he died on the cross. That was God shedding his blood so that you could have eternal life. Another wonderful theme in the book of Luke is the second coming. And that's exactly what God wanted to teach us. Chronologically, the life, the, the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, the second coming, so that we could have eternal life. And that's what the book of Luke is all about. The words of the gospel of Luke, validated by anyone, believed by the multitudes, delivered by eyewitnesses, recorded by a holy man of God, and systemized by a scholar. Now we saw in verse number three that Luke was writing to a specific person, Theophilus. He writes to Theophilus. Now that's a real person. That's an easy word to figure out. Theo means God. Phileo is the word, one of the words for love, one of the Greek words for love, like agape. So his name was God lover or beloved of God. Man, what a name. Now we don't know a lot about him. We're not told much about him. But here's the point. Can you imagine this educated, wonderful man of God who was such a close associate of Paul, had gone through all of this, can you imagine him taking the time and the effort to write something down? If you've ever written like a book or even like your story, you know what I'm talking about. It is hard. Now, it flows easy for some people, not for me. It is hard. And all the research, and he did all that for one person, Theophilus. Now he knew Theophilus would share it with his mom and his dad, his brother, and his brother's brother, and on down the line. He knew everybody would read it, but really it was written to this wonderful fellow, Theophilus. We don't know much about him. We are told one little phrase about him, most excellent. Most excellent Theophilus. Well, I don't know exactly what that means, but... That is the same phrase that was used about Festus and Felix in the book of Acts. They were both governors. They were illustrious men, so they were men of renown. So it's very possible then that Theophilus was someone who came from an influential family. He was uh, someone who probably had Christian beginnings with a name like God Lover. Well, but the wonderful thing is that Luke said, I have written this. I have taken painstaking effort. I have received it from the Holy Spirit. This is a true record of who Jesus was, who he is, and what he's going to do for, our, for you and for what he's been doing for our nation. You can trust it. You can stand on it. Now, skeptics often dismiss the Bible as mere stories. But I want you to consider the Bible is true for many reasons. First of all, archaeological confirmations. Archaeological confirmations. You know, there are many Bible events and 
figures that have been categorically confirmed, hundreds of them. In fact, archaeology is constantly uncovering one more confirmation of the Bible. The Bible is true? Absolutely. Prophecy is fulfilled, number two. The blessed word of God tells us of numerous of things that were accurately fulfilled. From the rise and fall of empires to a different people, incredible. Historical consistency. Despite being written over centuries by many different authors on different lands, it is a consistent historical narrative that aligns with external historical sources. Scientific foreknowledge is another reason why we know the Bible was true. It contains information that when science finally wakes up, they find it's true. I mean, it absolutely lines up with Scripture. Preservation over the millennia. Incredible. The meticulous preservation of text. Over thousands of years. Handwritten. And every time they find another scrap of a manuscript with but maybe a dot or a little comma here or there, absolutely the exact same. Unbelievable. It's preservation over millennia. It's unity of message. Forty different authors, different backgrounds over uh, 1,500 years, and yet when you read Genesis, you get the sense when you same thing as you read the New Testament. It is a unified message of redemption. And then enduring relevance. Think about this. It is written in a foreign language in another century. And yet when you pick up that Bible today, it just speaks. It's like it just burns in your heart. Get any other book written in a foreign language. Get it translated. And you're like, it just doesn't sound right. And then... From 1,500 years ago, or whatever, 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, enduring relevance. It's global reach. The Bible has been translated into more languages than any other book. People who are in a jungle somewhere, they're reading the Bible. <laughs> My precious wife and I, when we had the privilege of being on a gospel trip to Vanuatu, one of the least developed countries in the world, a South Pacific island area, not far from New Guinea. Seventy percent, over 70 percent of the people live in the jungle. And when I say they live in huts, folks, they live in huts. And that missionary, Brother Panero, took us up there into one village. And we got up there, and they didn't have a chair or a bed, but those people had a Bible. And it was they in a foreign language, yet with such a different culture, and yet the Bible was speaking to them. The Bible speaks to people of every culture, every land, every nation. Uncredible. Luke said, it's for everyone. Do you trust the Bible this morning? Do you believe that the book of Luke is the infallible, inerrant word of God? Maybe the bigger question this morning is this. Do you stand on the authority of Scripture? Because, my friend, in the end, trusting the Word is trusting God Himself. 
Many years ago, when the children were younger, anytime they were about two or three, maybe four, one of my favorite playtimes with them was in the kitchen. We seemed to find all kinds of things to do in the kitchen. But I would have them stand up on the kitchen counter. I would take a step back. And I'd put out my arms and say, all right, Luke, jump to me. And uh, he would look down and see that gap there, you know. And, and he'd see Dad, you know. And I'd say, you can trust me. I'll catch you. He'd look at me with those eyes and say, you can do it. All right. He'd kind of just take a step out, and I guess they trusted. I don't know what they were thinking. Like, I'm going to die, but I'm going to do what Dad wants me to do. I know that was cruel, but uh, I just did that. Fell into my arms. Well, being the kind of dad I am, I thought this was fun. So I'll take back another step. And, okay, you can really trust me, son or daughter. <laughs> trust me. I wouldn't let you fall. No, yes, come on, you can do it. And each one, some more readily than others. In fact, some of them got so excited about it, they think, thought they could jump all the way across the kitchen to me. Flat. Now, here's why I tell the story this morning. I think God looks to us. And I think he's reaching out his arms and he's saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Then jump. I know the words that I've spoken are very countercultural. I know they're different than what you hear out there in the world. But you can trust me. Will you take the step? Will you take the step? Will you receive me? There's a wonderful verse that says this. But as many... As the seed sower. John chapter 1. But as many as received him, they became a child of God. He gave them power to become a child of God. Friend, your Heavenly Father will never disappoint you. Never. Take the leap into Jesus. And it's not a leap leap into oblivion. It is a step into the very arms of God. And He'll catch you. Our heads are bowed and our eyes. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.